Banking institutions and merchants are increasingly being targeted by cybercriminals. The end goal? Cardholder and other financial data. And according to new research from ITA Group, the weakness of username and password authentication is too often to blame for database breaches and account compromises that later result in fraud. Here, ITA's Julie Conroy, who is one of the featured presenters at Information Security Media Group's inaugural Fraud Summit on October 22nd, shares insights about emerging payments fraud and trends and offers a preview of key financial fraud topics she plans to address during the upcoming summit. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Julie, as I mentioned in the introduction, standard authentication practices are and have been for some time broken. How have these outdated authentication methods impacted account takeover fraud trends in the last 12 months for banking institutions and e-commerce merchants? Well, to the extent that anyone was considering username and password a authenticator, right there, that's a key point of vulnerability. You know, the use of username and password as an authentication tool is dead. It's, it's a great database lookup mechanism, but that's about it. Part of that is just the weakness of the passwords themselves, but part of that is, and most of that is the fact that 55% of consumers use the same set of credentials across all of their online relationships. So they get compromised in one place. Yeah, that basically gives the keys to the kingdom to the bad guys to uh, make use of them across the web. And the myriad database breaches that we've seen over the last 18 months or so where credentials were compromised and in many cases they were just stored in a very basic hashed format, making it very easy for the bad guys to decrypt them. And as soon as they do that, they load them into their bots and dress them as, against as many properties as they can, trying to see where they're going to work. And that's a key reason why, as I talk to e-commerce merchants, many of them have seen account takeover-related fraud eclipse stolen card fraud as their greatest source of pain over the last year. Julie, we've talked before about how much more nimble fraudsters are than banking institutions when it comes to security. How have account takeover attacks adapted in the last 12 months to circumvent some of the new security controls that institutions have put into place? Yeah, that was one of the really interesting things that came out of these conversations. Is I've had repeated conversations with a number of these banks over the last few years now. And you know, there were some banks that I spoke with a year or two years ago that hadn't really been hit that hard by a corporate account takeover. You know, they, their controls were strong enough and sufficient enough that the bad guys were going to other less protected banks. But there were a few of them that I spoke with for this latest round of research where you know, they had dual control deployed. They had dual control in conjunction with one-time password tokens. You know, all of the stuff that you think are pretty strong controls you know, in association with the other layered defenses. And the bad guys are combining their traditional attack vectors using you know, malware, using Trojans, key logging, and then also working in some social engineering. There's one case where the bank was requiring dual authentication for wire transfers. The bad guys would basically get the malware on one computer, would get the uh, one-time password key logged, and would use that to do the first step of the wire release. And then they would place a phone call to another authorized user at this small business, convince them that there was something amiss with the account, that th that person needed to go and log in from her colleague's computer to, to fix it, whatever it happened to be. And uh, in so many cases, you know, the fact that somebody was placing the phone call, they just automatically believed it was the bank. And so at the end of the day, the bad guy only had to get his malware onto one computer and then using social engineering tactics was able to get the uh, second approver to initiate a transaction using their one-time password token from that same malware-infected computer 
and that gave him the second password he needed to affect the dual controls. It just shows that they study their targets, and uh, there's, there's so much money in it for them that they will be patient, they'll do their homework, and they will do what it takes. If it takes making a phone call to the business and pretending to be a bank, they will do that. Now, you note in a recent report, Julie, that emerging cyber threats have been more email-based, and these email-based attacks are actually being used to wage account takeover fraud. Ultimately, fraudsters compromise email logins and passwords, and then they monitor the email traffic, and they're watching for communications between the email account holder and that account holder's banking institution. How is fraud committed there? Well, and this goes back to the value of all of these credentials that we've seen compromised. Um, Those credentials aren't only valuable for logging into online banking or e-commerce accounts and draining the funds that way, but also many times the the same credentials work to get the uh, the bad guy into the Gmail account or whatever is being used by that small business. So they will use those credentials. They will find a business that is communicating regularly with their banker via email, and they will just monitor the traffic. And then at the opportune time, they will insert themselves in the conversation while logged in is that small business. So the banker sees the email coming, thinks that he's still communicating with the, the controller at this small business. And when that controller makes a request to send a wire to a new payee account, um, even though in many cases it's clearly against bank policy, the banker has a service cap on. And so so they're doing it. Again, it shows the, the flexibility and the, the capability of adjustment of these guys. We're seeing that as banks deploy things like mandatory secure browsing software and you know, effectively making it very difficult to perpetrate the malware-based account takeover attacks, you know, they're resorting to different tactics. And uh, unfortunately, they're succeeding. So multi-layered and out-of-band authentication methods have been noted by regulators as offering more security than usernames and passwords alone. But these methods also have been compromised. So, Julie, what would you say is the best approach to authenticating online users? Well, it, it goes back to you can't rely on any one-point solution. The bad guys have found ways to burst through any single point solution. It goes back to the need to deploy multiple complementary technologies in a risk-based manner. And so if you think of it as kind of a funnel and you have your kind of transparent and unobtrusive technologies at the top that can basically help validate or verify a chunk of the users and then keep deploying those technologies at the session level, at the transaction level, at the endpoint level, all the way down and have the capability to do some risk-based stepped-up authentication with that end user. If you can deploy, you can kind of think of it as as a web of technologies that makes it more and more difficult for the bad guy to get through. And at the end of the day, the the bad guys have P&Ls too. These are businesses. So if it becomes more time-consuming, more expensive to compromise your institution than the guy down the street, they're going to leave you and your customers alone. And it's, it's also a matter of there is never an end point to this journey. There is no destination. You have to continually iterate forward what you are doing. Just as the bad guys are innovating, there's also some really interesting and innovative technologies that continue to be developed and deployed to the market. NFIs need to keep abreast of these. They also need to make sure it's not just about the technology, but it's also about the rules and the policies. As I said earlier, the bad guys do their homework. They study their targets. But if you are making tweaks here and there to how your policies work, how your stepped-up practices work, 
it's going to be harder for them to get the lay of the land. And again, if it becomes too difficult, too time-consuming, they're going to move on to easier targets. So during the upcoming summit, Julie, you'll be talking about mobile banking trends. How do some of the mobile fraud trends connect to the account takeover trends that we've discussed here? You know, mobile is just another channel, and it requires username and password in most cases. And so we're seeing that the institutions, both both banks and e-commerce merchants alike, are taking account takeover-based losses in the mobile channel. Certainly the e-commerce merchants are taking the, the brunt of it right now because the banks tend to have their mobile channel a little bit more tied down with rules and velocity controls, things like that. But also, as the bad guys study their targets, they also recognize that often preventative technologies are first deployed online or preventative policies in many cases are first deployed online and then moved over to the mobile channel. So as they see that basic software development lifecycle flow, they will time their attacks and as the the opportunity dries up online, they will move to mobile and maximize their opportunity there until those, those opportunities dry up as well. The other thing that we're seeing is that the bad guys are taking advantage of some of the unique properties of that mobile environment. And so some of the malware that's popping up there is very specifically designed to capitalize on some of the unique properties of mobile. Um, And in many cases, unfortunately, they're finding some of the loopholes before we do and seal them up. Now, you've talked quite a bit about socially engineered schemes that are being used to compromise online users, but are there any specific schemes that are being used to compromise mobile users? The socially engineered schemes tend to arise more in the business banking environment, and right now that is fairly tied down with rules and with velocities. So we're not necessarily seeing the social engineering pop up quite so much yet in the mobile environment. It's just a matter of time, especially as higher risk functionality is being deployed to that environment. Where the e-commerce merchants are feeling extreme pain in mobile is more the mass consumer applications with just the, the bulk account takeover, the use of stolen card data, you know, some of the capabilities to deconstruct the mobile app and write transactions directly into the, the database in that way. So it's not so much social engineering, it's just pain is coming because you have these masses of consumer accounts that have been compromised and are being leveraged in the mobile channel. You know, one of the, I think, most interesting things that came out of this latest round of research was just that you know, as much as the threat environment is moving so fast, there are some very interesting technologies that are available to the banks and the merchants. And there's also opportunities to collaborate among these groups. And these groups aren't traditionally two groups that collaborate together, banks, issuers, merchants. Sometimes it's oil and water. But as I'm talking to these groups, I'm finding examples of where they are collaborating. They're sharing threat intelligence They are at times bringing joint cases to law enforcement to to get the prosecutions. And to the extent that we really are up against the same foes, I think it is incumbent for the industry to find ways to better collaborate with one another because it's going to take every every tactic and and every strategy that we can come up with to potentially just keep pace with the bad guys, let alone get ahead of them. Julie, I'd like to thank you again for your time this afternoon. It's been my pleasure. Good to speak with you, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Julie Conroy of ITE. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.